0: Welcome back to another episode of Well-Lit Path. We're going to evaluate portions of our prayer life today in Psalm 17. But first, how's your week been? I've talked about this before, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again. It's it's something that continually I I work on in my life. But prayer is just one of those things that I I struggle with. While there's something to be said for a constant attitude of prayer, which is something I also strive for, a set aside time to just be alone with God is is something that I, all too often, find lacking in my life. Now I do keep the lines of communication open. It's it's like my relationship with Crystal, my wife. I communicate with her all the time, uh, either via text, calls, uh, just conversation around the house, and at dinner time, you know, we have conversations. And I'll say that I I do the same with God. I'll talk to Him throughout the day. Um, you know, something good happens at work. Oh, thanks for that, Lord. Uh, a near miss on the highway because you know I'm not paying attention to the car in the right-hand lane that I can't see, um, and I'm like, Lord, uh, thank you for protection in that moment. Or you know, maybe I'm feeling discouraged at work, and I say, Lord, just feeling kind of discouraged right now. I could really benefit from some reassurance that you've you've got this. I feel like I reach out to God frequently and that there's conversation there all the time. But then I have to ask, would my relationship with Crystal suffer if we never went out alone for dinner or to the store just the two of us or if you know if we spent an afternoon together alone? Our relationship would suffer, and I know that because I, I can let it get like that sometimes. The same is in our prayer life. I need to get some alone time with God. I need to get away with Him, just spend some time with Him in my day, uh, even maybe just in my week to start to get that on track. And if you find yourself in the same place that I am, let me reassure you the same thing I know to be true. The only person holding me back from that is me. The only thing holding you back from that time is you. And you can make the same excuse as I do. We all know what they are. What it comes down to is, does that relationship matter to us? Because God is so much more worthy than our spouses of having the relationship maintained. And if we get things in line with him, we'll find that all of our other relationships get the time and the attention they need. So speaking of prayer, uh, David uses some unique techniques to check the sincerity of his prayer life in this psalm we're in this week. Uh, He uses it for self-examination. He uses it to surrender his own will. He uses it to, well, okay. Let's just look at it, shall we? Psalm 17, beginning in verse 1, "'Hear the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry, give ear unto my prayer.' that goeth not out of faint lips. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the path of the destroyer. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear unto me, and hear my speech. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of thine eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings." from the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about. They are enclosed in their own fat, with their mouth they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth, like as a lion that is greedy of his prey, and as it were a young lion lurking in the secret places. Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword, from men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children, and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Man, David, every time I get into a prayer of his, he challenges what I think about prayer every week. Just from where he starts, hear the right, O Lord. Lord, I'm coming to you in prayer, and my plea is just. It's right. Do we have this type of surety every time we pray? Do we know that what we're about to petition is in line with God's will? Is it right? Is it righteous? So often we pray to know God's will, but we have a clear path before us. When we pray things like, Lord, I really need a new job. If it's your will, can I have this specific job? It's not that we shouldn't be specific in our prayers, but are we asking for his will when we pray like that? Lord, I like this car. Can you let me know if it's your will by allowing the financing to come together and the payment to be in my range? Do either of those types of material things reflect his will in our lives? The fact is, God will give us the desires of our hearts even if we're to learn a lesson from them. Why instead would we not pray, Lord, I'm in the market for a new job. Now, I will stay where you have me if you're not done with me there yet. Lord, I I just really want your will to be done. I'm going to apply to some jobs, but Lord, lead me to apply to the right ones, to jobs that would please you and enlarge my coast to be a greater witness for you. Or what about, Lord, I'd like to get a new car. I don't need one, Lord, but I'd like one. And Lord, I'll drive this car to church every time the doors are open. But really, Lord, if this car would take me away from you or cause me to be disobedient to you in any way, take the desire for this car away from me, draw me close to you, and make my desires your desires. Do we pray like that? I'll admit that all too often I don't but this is how David opens his prayer. Lord, I know what I'm asking for aligns with your will, and it's the only reason I'm asking for it. And because I know it aligns with your will, I'm crying out to you, so respond when I cry out according to your promise. Here immediately, David moves from knowing his prayer is right to reminding God that his promise is to attend to the prayers of the righteous. He's claiming the promise that aligning his will with God's will move God to fulfill his promise to respond to those types of prayers. Do we even think like that? Do we think of the power of prayer in those terms? When we ask for things that are right and that align with God's will, God will answer those prayers according to his promise. Don't we all too often get frustrated when God doesn't seem to answer our prayers? Well, God promised he'd answered my prayers. Then someone says, yes, but no is also an answer. Well, maybe we'd hear no a lot less and get the answer we desire to our prayers if our desires aligned with God's desires. we look and crying out to God is our most natural state. The first utterance we make, most of us in this life, is a cry. And God hears our first cry as infants, and he'll hear us when we cry out to him as believers. Now, whether or not we like the answer will depend on how well our will aligns with his will not whether or not his answer aligns with what we wanted. And then David asks to be heard again, but examines his motive as he examines his heart this time. He says, what I want aligns with your will, but help me to ensure that it doesn't come from lips that are faking acquiescence to your will. That would, when we when we fake agreeing with God's will, Lord I'm I'm going to agree with your will because I know what it is or we think we know what it is and then but I'm going to take the answer and I'm going to bend it to match better what I want Well David was saying this isn't just right he's asking for by his own definition this is right as God would define it and in doing so he's asking God to search his own heart David's heart And see that what he's saying is true. Isn't it easy for us sometimes to twist a promise? God, you said you'd punish the wicked, so uh, this girl at school who's really being mean to me, punish her. We're claiming God's will, but we want his will with with a fake or a feigned desire. It's really for our means, not for his. Or, Lord, this person at work is super lazy, but they're always changed to being like this go-getter and, and busy person when the boss is around. Would you, could you just let them get caught goofing off? You said if a person doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. And see, there again, we've taken a godly truth, but we're trying to manipulate God into doing our will based on how righteous he is. And this just isn't how it works. David was saying that this right that he's asking for is based on God's definition of right, not his own. And that's why he asks, let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Lord, I want to judge harshly. And I, I have to say that I typically... I typically judge according to bias. I don't want to judge objectively. And David recognized that we tend to judge ourselves leniently and others strictly. And isn't that so true? How often have we thought to ourselves, well, I have problems and some sin in my life, but I'm not as bad as dot, dot, dot. Would we sentence or pass judgment on ourselves the same as someone else for the same infraction? This is why David asks God, listen, Lord, you meet out the judgment and do it equally. If the things I'm asking for can be found in me, judge me just as harshly as you would judge those that I'm asking you to judge. I want to look at your justness and judge according to your righteousness. You know, everyone loves that phrase. It gets thrown around all the time. Judge not that ye be not judged. What that verse is speaking to in context can be found in the following verses where Christ goes on to explain that we have to judge ourselves by the same yardstick we measure others with. This is why God is the only just judge. But if our judgment aligns with his proclaimed judgment, we're not justified by it. His righteousness is proven by it. And God judges all mankind equally, and yet he loves us equally as well. And this is why David admits that his sentencing of the offenders in this case should come from the throne of God and not from David's own understanding. And how does he know that his judgment aligns with God's? God has looked at his heart. He has invited God to look at his heart. Lord, examine me. When we look at those words, more fearful words could never be uttered. What do you have that you're trying to keep from God? What things do I have buried deep that I'm trying to hide from God? Do we really believe God doesn't know about them? Do we have the courage to allow God to start cutting those things away? David says, thou hast proved my heart. Lord, you came to me in the night, in the darkest season, in the privacy of my bedchamber, when I was alone and no one else could see, and you saw that I was faithful to you. Lord, you saw me when I could have been my worst and saw that I was not my worst. Can I say that to God? When I walk around my house when no one else is home and it's just me, do I act the same as I do when I know people are watching? Do I forget all too often that I'm always in the presence of an audience of one? David was confident in saying that God had checked his heart, but that in this thing, God found no duplicity in him. David had decided that with God's help, he would not offend. He would not transgress. And we have to ask, is this why we fail so often? Do we make up our minds to not commit that repetitive sin and then try it in our own power? And are we surprised when we fail? Do we purpose in our hearts to lean on Him or on our own strength, our own fortitude? I've got news for you. You're not that strong. And you know how I know? Because I'm not that strong. I, I struggled for a long time with a specific sin. I'll tell you what, if, if we ever meet, or if you if you run into me in church and you, you go to church and you listen to this, ask me about it sometime and I'll share it with you. This this isn't really the forum for it. But I kept trying to overcome this thing in my own power. And I promised God over and over again that I would stop, but I wouldn't give it to him. It was only when I said that I couldn't do it on my own that I was too weak, too human to put it away from me. It was then that I finally purposed not to transgress in his power, not my own. Like David, I had to allow him to evaluate my resolve and admit that my resolve wasn't strong enough, but God wants good things for me. So he removed that dark and sinful thing from me. And now I live in his liberty free of that sin. And David had allowed God to be his strength, his purpose, so he didn't transgress in his petition. This is how he stayed from the works of men, by leaning on God. A, a great way to lean on God is to stop searching for the right way to do things and accept his prescribed way to do things. Well, okay, but where, where can I find that? in the words that fall from God's lips. Look, we have it at our fingertips. We have it in our hand, in the pages of our Bible, written into our hearts at salvation. We can follow the prescription God has given, but we have to read it. We have to dwell in it. We have to make it a part of our personality, of our character. How else will it keep us from the wrong paths? How will we stay on the well-lit path? We have the map. We have the lamp. But if we never look at the map and constantly cover the light from the lamp, how will we keep from the path that leads to destruction? The destruction of our unbroken fellowship with God. The destruction of our testimony for God. No, our, our souls won't be destroyed but our testimony in our lives can be. Hold up my head. Hold up my light. Help me keep the lantern glass clean so I can see your way in front of me on the path you've set me on, Lord. Help me hold the lamp up high so that I don't trip, so that I don't fall, so that I don't slip off the edge and have to climb my way back to where you want me. Lord, This is how we stay in your will. This is how David knew his heart was in the right place. How can we know that we're in the right place, that what we're asking for is right? Well, let's continue to look. Lord, I've called on you before and often, so it's no new thing that I'm calling on you now. And this goes back to what I was talking about in the intro, Do we call on God only when we perceive a situation we need him in? Do we call on him to just casually talk? Or do we ever call on him to examine us, to try us, to make us more like him? Do we call on him because we're thankful for his mercy, for his grace in our lives, and the goodness of his blessings, knowing that he hears from us in all things, will make us more confident when we need to call on him in a time of distress. I mean, how would we like it if the only time our spouses talked to us was when they needed help with something? Or when they'd done something wrong? What kind of relationship would that be and how long would it last? Thankfully and beyond what we deserve, God's not like us. He's long-suffering And he just shows us grace upon grace. Does that mean that we should treat the relationship with him differently? Does that mean that we should take his grace for granted? If we were to make it a point to call on him always in all things, in all situations and season of life, to just call on him and keep the conversation open with him, what would our lives look like? To have the deep talks and the fun talks and the this is how my day has been talks. If we were to do that, we could be confident like David to say, hey, Lord. Hey, it's me again. Can, can I get a moment of your time? I, I know I can. Could you listen to me for a few minutes? I, I know you do because you always have. daily. Every time I need you, Lord, you listen. Because I search and I seek to spend time with you as much as I can, I can say from experience, you always listen. And that knowledge allows me to ask for your attention now. And now that I'm here, David says, show me how marvelous and awesome you are again. Show me, Lord, how much you love me. Isn't it easier to see affection the more you're around someone? You start to see and notice how they show their love, how they act when they love. Is our God that different? How much more would we see his love for us if we spent more time with him? How much would we recognize his loving kindness to us if we opened up to him more and see how he loves us unconditionally? without boundaries. How he takes us and wraps his arms around us and just loves to be in our company and for us to be in his. Why do we shy away from him so much? He draws those that put their trust in him close to him by his right hand. Now the Bible says that his son sits at his right hand and David here speaks of being drawn close with his right hand If Christ is at his right hand and God draws us close with his right hand, we must be near to his right hand. He wants us just as close as his son. Us. You and me. All of our mistakes, all of our failures, he wants to draw us close. So close that those that would rise up against us, those that would attack us, try to draw us away from a place of proximity with the Father, He keeps us from them. As the apple of God's eye. You know, I always loved this phrase once it was properly explained to me. This, this phrase is a phrase that means the little man in the eye. Now, that still might sound kind of strange. But what it means is that we're so close to God that we can see the reflection of ourselves in His eyes. Have you ever stood so close to someone that you could see your own face reflected in their eyes? Like David, we should want God to try and test us, find that we are desirous of His perfect will, and then for Him to draw us so close that we can see our reflection. In his eyes, there in this proximity, in this unbroken fellowship with him, we are safe. We are held. We're in the shadow of his wings. We're kept from our enemies, from the enemy. And who is our enemy? Well, David describes his enemies as feral, feline, and fearful. They've made themselves fat off of making the righteous their prey. They've caused others to fall by the wayside. They boast of the casualties of their campaign against right and are proud of their accomplishments to make the good falter. And isn't this our enemy? Isn't this Satan himself? In verse 11 and 12, he describes how the enemy stalks us. They've surrounded us. The principalities of the air, the evil ones. They surround us like lions on the Serengeti. We're their prey. They've set their eyes low to the earth. Their heads are low. You ever watched a cat stalk something? You'll notice that right before it gets ready to pounce, it'll lower the front half of its body as close to the ground as possible, head low, eyes fixed on the target. Haunches start to lower then as they get ready to to lunge at their prey. Now imagine the same movement and behavior in a lion. Because this is how the enemy hunts us. Waiting for us to step outside of the protective shadow of our God's wings. And just like a young lion wants to pounce on its prey as quickly as possible, the enemy will pounce on us at the first opportunity because for the enemy... Any opportunity is a good one. It doesn't matter how little a sin they can tempt us with and lure us into. It doesn't matter how small the impact may be initially. If the enemy can lure us into a small sin and compromise our relationship with God, our spiritual enemies can entice our flesh to the next sin and the next sin and the next sin. And this is what happens when we don't ask God to continually examine us, to weigh our request and see if our request is right, to pour out on us his loving kindness when we fail and immediately restore us to his fellowship. But when we maintain trust, when we rest in him, he immediately smacks the pouncing lion down to the earth and proclaims on our behalf, this is my child. You have no power here. They are completely yielded to me and you have no foothold. Our fellowship is intact. They seek my face daily. The lines of, the, of communication are always open. God tells our enemies, they rest in my righteousness and not in their own, so I am their strength. And with the sword of his mighty word, he cuts them to pieces on our behalf because we sought his face. We didn't have to run to him for protection. We abide in him so his protection is ever instant, ever present. We never have to send up flare prayers because we're never far enough away that God cannot see us and we can always see him. We need to just look at him for help and we're immediately drawn even closer to his side. And finally, David admits, Lord, when others look at my life, they may not see happiness and fulfillment as they would define those things. And you know, we get caught up in how others define those things too. Oh, they have so much free time because they don't go to church. They have so much, you know, worldly fun because they sear their conscience because they don't have the Holy Spirit. But they don't even realize that even their breath comes from you, Lord, and they never thank you for it. And though their children are born and they live healthy, prosperous lives, they never utter a word of thanks to you. They don't realize that every good thing comes from you. They live their life in some meaning of substance, but their life is not substantive because they don't have you. And how thankful are we that we can look on the face of our Lord and come into his presence with singing because we are clothed in his righteousness, forever secure in him, It's here that we find satisfaction. Here that we find rest. Here is where we are justified and made whole in Him. Here we know where and from whom our blessings come. And we have the relationship to thank Him personally for all of those things, to glorify Him for all of His treasures that He bestows on us. And while the unsaved may find joy in life, they don't know who to thank for that joy. What an added blessing for us to be able to know the source of our joy and to have a personal relationship with him. And where else could we find complete satisfaction? Our satisfaction lies in being more like him, clothed in his righteousness. Do we dare ask him to try our motives in prayer? Do we approach prayer selfishly for our own gain? or like David true fulfillment and answered prayer will come as we align our petitions with his promise and let him work in us to silence the enemy and glorify his name David's giving us a checklist here know what you're asking aligns with God's will know that what you that you see that's wrong aligns with what God says is wrong. Know that you're not guilty of the same wrong yourself. Know that your petition comes from a place of wanting to see God exercise his will for his good, not for yours. Purpose in your heart to trust him to help you not be guilty of the same things. Thank him for how he's loved you before and loves you still. Stay in the area of his protection and allow him to defeat the enemy. Thank him for that protection and how he's so good to us. Be thankful that you know the source of your blessing and then be satisfied that God can and will. Hey, thanks for walking with me as we read the word together. Won't you join me again next week? And we'll walk just a little further. If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button. If you have any questions about salvation or general podcast questions, uh, reach out to us via email at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook by looking for LWBC underscore publications.